OWC number 38, $99 SSDs. Tim Robertson for OWC Radio. Usually at the beginning of the show, I'll go into contact information, any feedback you guys have sent in, some of the news from the world of technology. But you know what? I'm going to start the show off a little bit different this week because something really, really great happened just three days ago as I record this. On Friday, OWC announced the new Mercury Extreme Pro 40 gigabyte SSD for $99. 40 gigabyte SSD, $99. That's, to me, that's incredible. Now, sure, I know you're saying, no, Tim, but you're doing the OWC radio. You're supposed to be saying stuff like that. It's, you know, the company that you're doing this podcast for. But let's back up for a minute. I've wanted an SSD in my MacBook Pro for a long time. There's always some catch that's kind of kept me from like, I don't know. I really want to do it. I've seen the benchmarks. I just don't know. $99 for an SSD. But this isn't just any SSD. This isn't just some run-of-the-mill cheapy SSD. This is the Mercury Extreme Pro with the Sandforce processor. Now, I'll give you some examples of what I just found online. This one from uh, storagereview.com. The OWC Mercury Extreme Pro is the fastest SATA 2 SSD to hit our test bench yet. And then they say, read on to see how the OWC stacks up against the best-in-class SSDs in both synthetic and our exclusive real-world benchmarks. And it scored at the top. Mac Performance Guide, as of July 2011, few other solid-state drives can match astonishing speed and robust performance. It's the fastest SSD I've tested to date, a serious enterprise-class SSD from bare feats. Class-leading in many real-world tests, prices lower than most on the market. The OWC Mercury is at the top of our list. Tweaktown. Dennis Sellers at Mac News writes, If you want, need, gotta have an SSD for your Mac, The OWC Extreme Pro RE is for you. Well, Dennis, the new Mercury Extreme Pro 40 gigabyte, even better. Offers eye-popping speed as well as peace of mind of consistent performance over time. That's Macworld. John Gruber at Daring Fireball, the most amazing upgrade I ever did. And the SSD review writes, simply a great drive, a hidden gem of the SSD world, a definite asset to any PC or Mac. So there you go, guys. $99 SSD. Now, this is what I'm going to do. Now, it's up to you how you're going to, to, uh, when you eventually upgrade to an SSD, how you want to do it. But this is just how I'm going to do it personally with my MacBook Pro. Now, this isn't the latest MacBook Pro. This was the one that came out just before the current one. So it's about a year old. I'm going to take out the current hard drive that's in there. 
and I'm going to buy the OWC Data Doubler. Now, with the OWC Data Doubler, I can take out the optical drive, put the OWC Data Doubler in, and install a second hard drive. Now, I happen to have an external null optical drive that I can use to boot my Mac if I ever need to upgrade the OS or fix it or something like that. So I have an external. It's really, really inexpensive to buy an external optical drive. It really is. And I want the speed and the performance that an SSD is going to give me. So it's just a no-brainer for me. So I'm going to get the data doubler. And on the data doubler, I'm going to install a one terabyte standard two and a half inch 7200 RPM hard drive. They're not very expensive at all anymore for a one terabyte. And I'm going to want a one terabyte because I'm going to put on that drive stuff like my music files, my movies. I'll use that as a scratch disk in Photoshop and in Final Cut Pro. So that will be internal. But on the SSD, this $99 Mercury Extreme Pro 40 gigabyte, 99 bucks. I'm going to take out the current hard drive that's already in the machine, and I'm going to replace that with the SSD. Now, on the SSD, all I'm going to put on there is the operating system and my most used applications. Now, if I download something, uh, you know, shareware and stuff like that, that I don't know if I'm going to keep or if I don't need access to on a daily basis, it's not something that I'm launching and quitting all the time. I'm just going to put that on the other drive, the one terabyte But on the SSD, I'm going to put my most used application, stuff like Photoshop, uh, Final Cut Pro, and, of course, the OS. There's a couple other things that I'll put in there, too. Uh, But all my media files, the the hogging applications and files, you know, the things that just take a lot of space on your hard drive, I'm just going to put that on the one terabyte. Now, of course, I am going to have a backup solution in place, and uh, that's what I've been using already, the Voyager. So... I think this is a no-brainer, and for 99 bucks for the <laughs> – I'm sorry, it's a it's a industry-leading SSD, the Mercury Extreme Pro. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I didn't want to bonk you guys over the head right at the beginning of the show on um, the hard sell or anything like that because, quite honestly, it just makes perfect sense to me. It just makes perfect sense. I, I'm going to do it very, very soon because I can't – I've seen in person – the difference in speed you get from an SSD, even on an older laptop, I, it's, it just makes perfect sense to me. Now, this isn't just for laptops either. The new iMac, the 27-inch, you can do the same thing. You can install this $99 40-gig SSD in that machine. You don't even have to do it yourself. It's a turnkey solution from Otherworld Computing. I'm going to put a link in to the turnkey solution for the iMac 27-inch at OWC Radio so you can follow that link or simply go to MacSales.com. On the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a link to it. It'll make that new iMac just scream. And I'm sorry, Apple Apple cannot touch this deal. $99 for an SSD with the Sandforce processor? They can't touch that. So anyways, let's get on to the news a little bit. Um, because I can honestly, I could talk about this all day, guys. This is—I'm just blown away. I can't believe uh, forty bucks for an SSD. I'm sorry, ninety-nine bucks for a forty-gigabyte SSD. I started confusing the price and the size, but <laughs> wow. 
Okay, here's one. Uh, Bill Palmer, who was on OWC Radio uh, not too long ago, he of Beat Week, has a story about the Droid 2 and that it too, like the iPhone 4, is suffering from antenna problems that if you hold it a certain way, it loses connection or the bars drop a lot. And uh, Bill's kind of upset that the tech press hasn't jumped all over the Motorola Droid 2 like they did with the iPhone 4 for exactly the same reasons. And he, I don't know if I want to, here's, here's my take on it. And I know Bill's listening. So, Bill, I understand that the Droid 2 has exactly the same problems. But the difference is the iPhone 4 is a cultural icon at this point. Well, let me, let me change that. The iPhone itself, not necessarily the iPhone 4, but the iPhone itself is a cultural phenomenon. It's an idol of the cell phone market out there. I don't know hardly anybody who doesn't want an iPhone. Usually the biggest reason people don't get an iPhone is because they're on a different carrier under contract or AT&T's coverage in their area is just terrible. Those are the, usually the two reasons people give when they don't, why they don't get an iPhone immediately. So the Droid 2, it could be as popular. It just came out, but I don't think it's going to be. And it does look like a nice cell phone. And totally understand where you're coming from that the tech press should be all over this story just like they were the iPhone story. But it's just not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because most people aren't going to care and aren't going to click links about problems with the Droid 2 like they will problems with the iPhone. It's, it's a look at me, click this, click that type of mentality that a lot of the tech press has that they want to blast out those sensational headlines to get attention, and they want that so they can sell more advertising, obviously. That's why Gizmodo stole a phone and posted video and pictures online, just to make money. And there's nothing wrong with making money, and I agree with you, Bill. It is hypocrisy when they completely ignore the exactly the same story just you know, weeks after the iPhone came out, that big antenna gate story, and they're not doing it on the droid gate story, you know. But, you know, we live in the real world, Bill, and you and I both know it's not that sexy to attack Motorola or Microsoft or Google as it is Apple. I mean, Apple has a much higher, I don't know, popularity, um, in the, in the public's mind, it's an exciting company. Almost all their products right now are super exciting. Everybody wants them. They're very desirable. From the iMac to the Mac Pro to the MacBook Pro, and who knows what the Apple TV, and some people are already calling it the iTV, is going to be here real soon, if that even happens. So it, it's you're going to get a lot more attention as a writer, as a publication, if you write the iPhone 4 has antenna issues. And we have video, and we can recreate the problem. Much more sensationalized than the Droid 2 also has the problems. Everybody yawns and goes, yeah, so what? Even if the Droid 2 came out before the iPhone 4 and it had these issues, I think the, I don't think anything would have been different, quite honestly. I think we'd still be seeing all the iPhone 4 stories, and we wouldn't see anything about the Droid 2. So last week, OWC got their hands on the brand-new 2010, I guess it's the mid-2010 Mac Pro, 
dual processor models, and they confirmed that you can use up to 64 gigabytes of RAM. That's a lot of RAM in one machine. That's, wow, 64 gigabytes of RAM in your computer. What can't you do at that point? You might as well just go out and buy a huge dish and put it in your yard and set up your own CD. I mean, (laughs) it's 64 gigabytes of RAM. And that's the dual processor model. It's, wow. So it's six core, Intel Xeon, 2.66 gigahertz, 64 gigabytes of RAM. That is an impressive number. And, uh... It doesn't help me when I was really seriously considering just going with another iMac for my next home computer. Then I see this stat, and I'm like, wow, 64 gigabytes of RAM. I, I can do anything. Anything you could think of on a computer, I can do it. 64 gigs of RAM. With that much, I could do it all at the same time. Here's an idea. Get the multi-mount from OWC and put an SSD in there, too. Wow. That would be... That's a lot of speed. That's a lot of power. And, whoa, I don't, you know, a Mac Pro with an SSD and 64 gigs of RAM, I mean, that would last you, what, 10 years? Seriously, it would last a long time. And what's Apple going to come out that's going to match that in, in just raw speed and power over the next couple of years? Probably nothing. I mean, that would be a, a long-term solution if – you want to spend money right now, but you want this machine to last a long time. It'd be hard to beat a 64 gigabyte Mac Pro with an SSD. That would be uh, that would be killer. Or I don't know, maybe two SSDs. <laughs> that would be even better, wouldn't it? Do you think Apple fanboys, you know, Mac users? Do you think we're as passionate as we used to be, or as obsessed as we used to be? I had this conversation with two different people over the last week, which is, um, and I didn't initiate this topic either time. And it got me thinking a little bit. Am I as enthralled with the Apple culture as I was, say, in 99 or 2000? And I said there's a lot of people that's probably not. Uh, it's much more mainstream, the Mac is, than it was back in, you know, 99, 2000. But, yeah, I, I think Mac fans are Mac fans. I think PC fans are still PC fans, and they're not ever going to try the Mac. They love their PC. I think the same thing is true with Linux people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as, you know, people stay civil when they're having discussions about their computer platform of choice and that sort of thing. But I, yeah, I kind of do. I think that uh, I think Mac fans are just as obsessed as they've ever been, and and maybe with better reasons nowadays than before. I mean, the Mac OS is a fantastic operating system. I think it's by far the best that's out there. But I do think that the new Windows Seven is also a very good operating system, and there's a lot of positive things you could say about Linux. But I'm a Mac guy myself. I plan on always being a Mac guy. And I think that people like me, and I figure a lot of the people listening to this show, 
is like me in that regard. I think we're still very passionate. I think most of the people that I know that are really big into Mac are visiting Mac sites every single day on their computer. I think they're very hungry for any information they can get on upcoming systems or software. I just see discussion after discussion everywhere I turn, and I don't see the lack of passion anywhere. I do see a lot less attacking of other platforms than I used to, and I think that's probably a good thing. I think that just shows a maturity of the industry as a whole. But yes, I do think the Mac users are still just as passionate as they've ever been. I am curious if you guys agree or disagree. Uh, Keep listening. I'll give you contact information at the end of the show on how to get a hold of OWC Radio. But let me know what you think. I'm curious. I do think right now that there's a huge backlash against the Apple-branded products. Have you noticed that? It seems like there's a lot of, and I don't want to just put this on the antenna gate thing, but there really does seem to be kind of a backlash against the popularity of Apple's products lately. And I don't know if that's just jealousy or, I don't know, what do you think? Just, when I say backlash, I see a lot of negative articles lately. And I'm kind of curious on if this is a growing trend that you've noticed, or am I just overly sensitive about this stuff? When I see something that's kind of attacking my passion, the the whole Mac ecosystem, uh, I do kind of get my feathers ruffled a little bit, but I don't attack back. I probably would have 10 or 15 years ago. I just don't attack back anymore. I just feel like, yeah, go ahead and say what you want to say. I don't care. Uh, Maybe it's because I have my own platform where I can offer rebuttals. But it's still interesting, and I would love to know what you think. Backlash against Apple? So Mac Life Magazine uh, online has a really good article up on their website right now, and I'll put a link to this on show notes for episode number 38 at OWC Radio. So just go to OWC Radio, look at OWC Radio number 38, and I'll have a link directly to this article. Netflix versus Hulu Plus. Who deserves your 10 bucks a month? Now, I find this very interesting because a lot of the conversation that's coming out over the last week or so, especially after Kevin Rose wrote his uh, blog post about the upcoming Apple TV and his claims to know what it's like and what it's gonna, what's going to happen to the whole industry because of it. And I don't want to get too much into his predictions, but the fallout of what his predictions are makes this an even more interesting read, the Netflix versus Hulu Plus at MacLife. For starters, they both cost right around 10 bucks a month. Now, the 10 bucks a month is, uh, I think it's $7.99 or $8.99 at Netflix, and that's that you only get one DVD at a time shipped to you option. That's what I have. I don't actually have the drive or a disc shipped to me. Occasionally I do. If they have something that I want to see that they don't have streaming, then I'll go ahead and have them send me a disc, and I usually get it the next day, depending on you know what time I add it to my queue. But I don't use Hulu Plus, and the reason being is I don't watch. Let me change. I've got uh, like the gold package with Comcast at home, which basically means I get every channel that's out there, all the HD channels, all the standard def, um, all the movie packages. And quite honestly, I'm probably going to change that soon because we watch maybe 10% of the channels that we actually get compared to how much money we're spending for the service. So I'm going to change that soon. 
And when I do, maybe Hulu Plus comes into play. My problem with Hulu Plus is I've never used it. I'm not a huge TV watcher as far as streaming content, but I do watch quite a few television programs that I DVR at home. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I like to DVR, television shows are premium television shows on like Stars or HBO. Um, I, I think it's I think it's Stars. I, I cannot remember off the top of my head. I'm watching uh, Pillars of the Earth, which has been kind of a miniseries, so I consider that television. But it's it's like Stars or I can't I can't remember what premium channel it's on. It's a fantastic show, by the way. Um, but can I get that stuff on Hulu Plus for ten bucks a month? I better get a lot more than I can see on Hulu's website. I go up to their website to check out their streaming services, and they don't have an entire run of shows. They have you know the last six episodes and then five thousand little clips of it. And if I want to get into a show, and I want to get into it late, like say Mad Men, I know it's a great show. Never watched it. Um, if I wanted to get a Mad Men, could I get Hulu Plus and start from season one and get caught up to date? I don't know. I know I can't with Netflix. Netflix is really a movie service, not television. And I watch more movies streaming than I ever would television shows streaming. I don't know why. I just do. But if I got both of these, that's like 20 bucks a month. And at that point, am I really consuming the content enough streaming-wise to justify paying that much when I'm already paying, you know, $250 or so a month for Comcast. Now that's, by the way, all the premium channels, that's a highest speed internet connection that they offer, which I think is a joke because I don't see any better speeds now than I did when I was on their starter plan, you know, five years ago. And it's also my home television. So I Comcast has a lot of my business and that's a lot of money to spend on a month-to-month basis, especially when I'm not consuming that much content. So for me, I don't know, adding 20 more bucks to that for streaming services, very questionable. Now, getting back to what I said about Kevin Rose and his ITV or Apple TV, however he wants to call it, his predictions and his this is coming real soon from Apple – Imagine what you can already do with your iPhone or your iPad, the different streaming services ABC offers, HBO is offering one. You're probably going to see one from Cinemax and Stars, ABC, NBC. You could download or buy an app from, say, NBC, and you'd have access to all their programming, even going way back on your Apple TV or iTV, and it would cost you 10 bucks a month. At which point, if there's only a few shows that we really dig, my wife and I, say on six different networks, and each one of those networks are, I don't know, 10 bucks a month, that's 60 bucks a month. That's a lot cheaper than we're paying right now. now. Of course, I still have to have an internet connection, but I can get one of those for, you know, 70 bucks for high speed. So I'm, I'm saving a ton of money, more than half. So this is a good article to read if you're really into streaming and you, you're a little frugal. You don't want to just jump into Netflix or Hulu without knowing really what you're going to get. Definitely read the article. Right now, for me, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I, like I said, I've already, I'm already paying for Netflix. So I've kind of gone into it a little bit, but 
not to the point where I'm going to say, hey, I'm just going to stop having my cable television. I don't need it anymore. Well, yeah, I do because all these little streaming apps that I have, they don't work on my big TV. And that's where I want to entertain myself by watching television. I don't want to watch television on my iPad or my iPhone most of the time. It's kind of a shared experience. My wife and I sit down after the kids are in bed and we watch, you know, uh, Hell's Kitchen or Top Chef or, well, I'll watch Entourage. She won't. Uh, but, you know, that sort of thing. It, it's more of a shared we're watching it together. Amazing Race, perfect example. Amazing Race always came on uh, on Sundays. I'm sure it's going to be starting up again here in the fall. And it's my wife and I, our favorite show that we watch together. So as soon as the kids are in bed on Sunday, we go and fire up the DVR and watch the episode that we just recorded. Um, she'll make popcorn sometimes. I don't, I don't eat it. She does. So I don't like popcorn anymore. But, you know, it, it's shared. We'll talk about it. We'll pause it and we'll discuss what we're watching. And, oh, do you think they're going to get caught up? And it's it just we really, really enjoy it. It's fun. I don't think we can have that experience sitting around the iPad, you know, sharing a pair of headphones or sitting around our iPhones watching the same content. I, I think it loses something at that point, doesn't it? So I'm not ready to make that leap quite yet, but only because I can't get that content when I want it on my 46-inch television. That's where I want to watch that kind of content. Even more pronounced for the kids. Are, are they going to fire up the computer to watch their cartoons? No. Um, so I need a Nickelodeon app. I need a Nick Jr. or whatever it is. There's so many different cartoon shows that they, the little kids like. What about my older daughters? You know, they like watching Bravo and stuff like that or Wii TV or, I don't know, something like that. Women's television. Um one of my daughters really likes that show. So am I going to have to buy apps for every single network out there? And if so, when are they going to become available? How much are they going to cost? Uh, do I buy, say, ABC and I also get Bravo? Or I see, I don't know who owns who in Hollywood or the television industry. So I got to imagine that there's probably, what, maybe five or six main players and they own everybody between them. So there's a lot of questions still. I would, I'd love to see what the future holds a year from now. Do I think whatever Apple's going to release here in the next month, according to Kevin Rose, going to change the entire industry? Maybe, just not right now. And it's going to take a while to that, for that to happen. A lot of people need to – well, number one, there's not high-speed Internet access available to everyone. We like to think there is. But even here where I live in southwest Michigan, there's parts of – I call it the country. When you go out to the country, it's rural areas that doesn't have high-speed access yet. Uh, where I live, for instance, we still don't have 3G access from AT&T. Even though I pay for a 3G data plan, I can't use it because it's not here yet. And they keep promising me, oh, it's coming this October. They've said that for three years in a row. This October, we're going to get 3G. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hold my breath for that. Thanks, guys. But I don't know. I, where this is all going, I can't wait to find out. I would. A lot of people say I want a la carte television. I don't know if I do. One of the maybe it's just because of my upbringing, and almost everybody listening to this will understand. Uh, just surfing the the television when I was young, there was only 
<laughs> six shows to watch or six stations. And uh, as I got older, more and more was added, like when MTV came out, the Discovery Channel. Now I get literally hundreds of stations or channels. And uh, unless I know that there's something on that I want to watch right then, flipping through the guide to see what else is on is half the entertainment, isn't it? That's how you discover new shows. A lot of times somebody will say, hey, go watch this. It's really good. But for the most part, we kind of discover our own shows that we enjoy, don't we? I never – I'll give you a prime example. If there was an app that I could buy for the ITV, this uh, faux product right now, it's it's still vaporware. It doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned because I can't see it, touch it, read about it, hold it, that sort of thing. So if there was a a Food Network app, I would never have bought a Food Network app because I'll think, what am I going to watch? People cooking? I don't want to watch that. That's craziness. However, over the last year, I've really gotten into it. And I never would have gotten into it by buying an app and hoping that I'll like it for 10 bucks a month or 5 bucks a month or whatever the price could be. I never would have taken a chance on it. But because I already have it, I discovered it. And then I discovered that I really, really enjoyed it. So there's a fine balance between saying, yeah, I want a la carte. I want to pick and choose what I want when I want. And having everything just sitting there waiting for you to discover it on a cable channel that you already subscribe to as part of your cable bill. So I don't know. It, it's it's difficult. If there's the ability to watch it for a week for free beforehand, maybe a la carte would work. That way I can discover new shows on other networks that I never would have given a chance to if I had to pay for it first. But it's just a total different beast. I think I want to flip through the channels. I want to discover stuff on my own. You know, I want to see, I want to be flipping the channels and I want to stop on a a Bobby Flay throwdown and watch him battle some lady on who makes the best mashed potatoes. You know, if I just read about it online, I would think I would never enjoy it. But I actually enjoyed that. It was fun to watch. Um, And how do you discover that on a la carte? I don't think you can. I really don't. Um, You're going to just simply pick the things you already know you like. But the problem with that is you'll never discover anything new. So I can see both sides of that argument. I want this because this is what I like and I should only have to pay for what I'm going to consume. Compared to, you know what, you're going to pay this much money and you're going to have access to all of this. And chances are you're going to find quite a bit of programming in here that suits your style and your desires on what you want to watch at that particular time because there's just so many, so much to choose from. It's popular to say, oh, it's the idiot box and there's never anything good on there and you should be outside doing stuff instead of watching TV. Well, maybe, but you know what? I live in the real world. I probably sit on my couch more than I should, obviously. we I think we all do. We all know we need to get out and ride a bike instead, but let's be honest, we're not. That being said, we enjoy flipping through the channels. Sometimes we even like watching something that we can't stand just to make fun of it. You've done that, haven't you? You've stopped on something and just ripped it to shreds for a half hour. Oh my God, look at this, this is horrible. And who who watches this? And, you know, making fun of the, the storylines or if it's a I don't know, a cooking show or a building show and, you know, stuff like that. And, and that furthers discussions with maybe your spouse. My wife and I, for instance, were watching um, – uh, the guy's name is Doug. He 
redecorates houses or something. I don't know. But they go into houses. It's like three different families. And uh, the people go back and look at their old house that they used to own after somebody else came in and changed everything. And they live there now. And my wife likes the show more than I do. I don't detest it. I don't hate it. I'll, I'll tolerate it. But it got us into a discussion about how much waste that we see going on in this show. The new family will move into this house and they'll completely destroy like the cupboards. And they were completely great cupboards to begin with. There was nothing wrong with them. Had they taken the time to take them off the wall carefully, they could have donated them to like Habitat for Humanity or less fortunate people, that sort of thing. But they're just taking a crowbar to these perfectly good cabinets and just destroying them. And that kind of incensed both my wife and I were like, what? Isn't there anybody on the camera crew and saying, hey, maybe instead of destroying that for, you know, a 60-second clip on our television show that people might find mildly entertaining, how about we carefully take them off the wall, call Habitat for Humanity or like organizations, um, and donate them so somebody else could use them in their house that might not have cabinets or might have cabinets falling off the wall? Here's some perfectly serviceable cabinets. So that's something that neither my wife or I would have ever talked about and discussed and and had that brought to our attention had we not been flipping channels. I'm probably way off my point when it comes to the new Apple device. Um, But I think you get my point. I, I like the ability to switch channels to something that I may never have watched and discover that I like it. A la carte sounds good. I don't know if I really, really want that. What do you think? Do you want a la carte? Maybe a combination of two. Maybe there's something that you can get that will allow you to view this other stuff that you never would have downloaded on your own. So I don't know. I'm very curious on what you guys think. Am I wrong? Um, Convince me otherwise. Convince me that, that getting rid of my cable bill is a bad idea. Actually, it's probably a great idea because, that's like I said, that's an expensive bill. You know what I mean? So I'm curious, though. I'd really like to hear what you have to say. Something else I'm curious about is the Chrome OS tablet that Google says they're going to release uh, along with Verizon on Black Friday. Now, this is from Engadget. I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, but this is kind of strange to me. It's a tablet a la the iPad that isn't running the Android OS, but it's running the Chrome OS. And the Chrome OS, if you don't know, is basically a web browser. So there would be no apps for this device. Everything you would be doing with this device would be online. Your entire interaction from what this article says basically is it's just a a web browser. Does anybody really want that? Didn't we have, like, what was it called, web TV or something that you could connect this little box to your television and it's just that 10 years ago? I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea, just brilliant, and it's going to take all the wind out of the iPad sales market, or if it's just a really crazy idea that nobody wants a handheld device that does nothing but browse the Internet. I suppose somebody could say, well, Tim, most people are just on Facebook, on Twitter, checking their email, maybe eBay, uh, looking at a couple news sites, and then they're turning off their computers or their iPads. And I grant you there is a segment of the population who does just that, that uh, if maybe this will play Flash games and people want that. But I don't know. I, it, this might have been a good idea had the iPad not existed yet, but the iPad's already out there. 
And the iPad's a game changer. Now, I don't say that because I'm some big Apple fanboy and everything. I, they can do no wrong. That's not true of me at all. For those who've been listening to me for a long time, either here on OWC Radio or other podcasts that I've been on and hosted in the past, you know I'm going to express my opinion one way or another on good, bad, or indifferent on whatever Apple's doing. I love the iPad. I think it's the best device Apple has made since the Macintosh. If I had to go, and I'm not talking about how much money it's earned or anything like that. I'm just simply talking about for me personally. My personal top four things from Apple of all time in this order is the Macintosh, the iPad, the iPhone, and probably the Apple II in that order. Now, as far as Apple as a company, the iPhone would probably be, you know what, I'm going to, let me go back. I'm going to take the Apple II off and I'm going to replace it with the iPod, uh, iPod. Too many I names, IP names. So Macintosh, iPad, iPhone, iPod, in that order of importance to me personally. Now, the iPod itself kind of heralded in podcasting. It was the first truly popular digital music player and along with iTunes being able to subscribe to podcasts that made it really popular and made this industry grow and become what it is. So that should be way up on my list, right? But I'm just talking about not professionally, personally. Devices that if I had to be stranded in a house for 10 years and I couldn't leave, what devices would I have to have? Number one, I'd have to have my Mac computer. Now when I say Mac, it could be a laptop or a desktop. I don't really care which. But although if I'm trapped in the house, just give me a desktop. I don't need a laptop. But number two is definitely going to be the iPad. It's a better device than the iPhone only because of the screen. But that only is a really big thing. The big screen makes just a world of difference. Uh, it doesn't feel like a large iPod touched. I mean, the iPad is... It's amazing. If you haven't got an iPad yet, you really do need to get one. I mean, I know a lot of people out there saying, I have an iPod Touch. I don't need an iPad. It's just a bigger version of this. Yes and no. It is just a bigger version of that, but that's the whole point. It's bigger. There's such an intimacy with the data on it that you're interacting with, be it an iBook or comics. Like I like reading comics on it, browsing the Internet your email, everything is just so smooth, so fast, and it's so intimate right there with you. It, The computer is, is often as I use my Mac, and I've been using it for, you know, I don't know how long, years and years and years, decades. Um, and I do lose myself sometimes using the computer. I'll start getting tunnel vision. But it's different than what it is with the iPad. I think the iPad is simply the second best device that Apple's ever done. And if the Chrome OS tablet that's rumored to be coming from Google and Verizon is even half as good, I think it's going to be a big success. But I do question whether segmenting their own market is a very good idea. I mean, if they're going to come out with tablets running the Droid, or I'm sorry, running the Android operating system, and they also got one that runs a Chrome OS, I mean, isn't Google kind of segmenting their market? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But... Whatever, you know, they didn't They didn't uh, send me an email and said, hey, Tim, what do you think of our business plans? <laughs> Had they done that, I'd say uh, don't go with Chrome OS on a tablet. Just make it an Android. Look at what the iPad did and do that because 
Apple needs competition. We need more than one device that does this that makes the whole platform more popular and moves it ahead. So Apple has to come out with the iPad 2, and it has to be even better than the Android one, and then the Android has to be better than the iPad 2, and they keep leapfrogging each other. And that's how we get better products in the long run. All right, I want to get to a iPad app pick of the show. Probably not going to do this on every episode, but there's so many good apps out there, and this is one of them. This is a free app. I am the cook of the family, by the way. When uh, when it comes to dinner time, I'm I'm the one that does the cooking. My wife would do it, but I like to eat, and <laughs> she's not a good cook. Oh, it's not her fault. It's uh, it's her mother's, I guess, wouldn't it? That that would be her mom's fault, or maybe her dad's. They didn't they didn't teach her how to cook good. So I'm the cook, and uh, I like to try different things. Um, when I was growing up, I was a very picky eater. I just I liked what I liked, and I was not going to try anything else. In fact, it, I was in my 30s before I tried Chinese food for the first time, and of course, I love it now. But growing up, I there was no way it just didn't look right to me. So I consequently never ate Chinese food. So now that I'm the cook of the family, and we have four kids, and plus my wife and I—that's six people that I'm cooking food for um, on a consistent basis. I'm only so creative when it comes to food. I don't have a big background in cooking. Uh, I worked at a restaurant when I was a teenager, but I was a dishwasher and a busboy. So, you know, that didn't really prepare me. I can clean a mean dish, but that doesn't mean I can cook one. So I can use all the help I can get. So I downloaded this iPad app from Betty Crocker. And I believe that's what it's called. Let me check. Uh, It's called Cookbook from Betty Crocker. It's free. And it is exactly what it says it is. Receipt, uh, I'm sorry, receipt. Recipe categories, appetizers, bars, beverages, breads. Just, I mean, everything is in here. Meats, sandwiches, sauces, syrups, gravies, pies, and tarts. But what I kind of like, now you can mark some stuff as your favorite so you can always get back to it real quick. Or you can do a search, say you want to look for uh, something to go with pork chops or how to make pork chops. You can find all that in here. But what I like is this little button that says surprise me. So I just click surprise me, and I guess it's searching its database. And uh, it, it finds the main ingredient that all these dishes have in common. So this time it surprised me, and it went with ketchup. Wouldn't have been my first choice, but ketchup. So it gives me a bunch of different choices that I can use for ketchup or with ketchup. And it tells you what the serving size is, how long it's going to take, and how long the prep is before you even get into the menu itself or the uh, recipe itself. It just shows a picture of what it is. And this one, it's grilled backyard beef burgers. Prep time, 10 minutes. Total, 25 minutes. Serving, 6. Next one is baby back ribs with spicy barbecue sauce. Caribbean Caribbean chicken drummies, spinach and Caesar pasta salad. Where does ketchup fit in there? Hmm. Beefy bean pot pie. It's just a whole bunch of stuff. Sloppy Joe Supreme. That doesn't look very good in the picture, by the way. Grilled meatloaf meat pack. Or I'm sorry, meal pack. Oh. That's kind of cool. It looks like fries and meatloaf 
in aluminum foil that you would put in like in a campfire. That's kind of neat. So check this out. It does. It's not going to cost you a dime. What I like about recipes on the iPad as opposed to the iPhone is it's so much bigger. So if you get a case that you can also use as a stand, you can simply have the page up right there and able to look at what you want to look at. I think this is a great idea. Now, there's a lot of different cookbooks and recipe things for the iPad and the iPhone in the iTunes Music Store now. I guess it's just the uh, the App Store. I keep wanting to say Music Store. been talking about iTunes for too many years, I think. But I really like this one. Number one, it's free. And number two, the four or five recipes that I've tried in the past that I found in here, they all came out really well. So... Consider that. I mean, if you're a vegetarian, they do have vegetarian fare in here as well. Um, just, a, just a ton of recipes, and that's what I like. The more, the merrier. If you know of a really good recipe app for the iPad, would you let me know, please? I don't care if you have to buy it or not. Um, free or 5 bucks or 10 bucks. I don't really care about that. I just want something that's um, – one of the problems I have with some recipes is it – I have to know what I'm looking for. Well, the problem with that is I don't always know what I'm looking for. I want to be surprised. I want something to go, hey, look at this, Tim. This this is what you want. And try it. Just just try cooking this. And especially when it's ingredients that's pretty common. You know, if I have to find some clove leaves and, you know, vinegar spinach or some weird thing like that, now I'm not going to. I'm not going to go to the store to find all these very obscure things that I'm only going to use once. So let me know if you know of any. I would really appreciate it. And I'll let you know that right now the iFolio from OWC, talking about the iPad, this is one of the best cases for your iPad. Prices start at $99. And when we first launched the iFolio, you can get it in black or red. And I think I really like the red, to be honest, but the black was as cool. But you can get it in 11 different colors now. So you can get, like, uh, a couple different brown leathers, orange, kind of a beige, a yellow, uh, a blue, a green. I mean, a lot of different colors. Check it out, www.maxsales.com. It's the iFolio. A lot of people are really digging on the iFolio. And if you're going to have your iPad with you as much as I do, you really need something iFolio is a great choice. So with that, I'm going to wrap up OWC Radio number 38. Contact information, I'd love to hear from you guys. You can send us email at podcast at maxsales.com. The Twitter account is twitter.com slash OWC Radio. And if you would like to join the show, you'd like to hear yourself, send us a voice message. You can do that with this phone number, 1-801-938-5559. And, of course, all of our show notes are at www.owcradio.com and, of course, maxsales.com. See you in a week.